the Sunday Comics, August 2022 edition. This month we are covering Moon Knight from the Dead by Warren Ellis and Declan Shelby. Now you're probably unfamiliar with Moon Knight as a character, and that's totally fine because almost everyone was until Disney Plus dropped a Moon Knight series starring Oscar Isaac a few months ago. Moon Knight is a character who has always been a B to C list Marvel character at best, usually a supporting player showing up in other characters' books or as part of a B or C level team. However, with this particular volume, esteemed writer Warren Ellis brought along an up-and-coming artist, uh, Declan Shelby, and they put together a really compelling, essentially, reintroduction to the character for people that are otherwise unfamiliar with him, both resetting the field of who the character is as well as establishing his place within the greater Marvel framework. You don't have to have seen the Disney Plus series to enjoy this episode, and you don't have to have read the book, but it would help lend some context. While last month's entry, Dragon Hoops by Jean Lun Yang, was a single story about uh, the Bishop O'Dowd High School. This particular volume is essentially six single issues that are little vignettes into different aspects of Moon Knight as a character, who he is, how he operates, and why he is the way he is. But before we get into this particular uh, story, let's talk a little bit about the history of Mark Spector, aka Moon Knight, as a character. Mark is one of the few sort of like openly Jewish characters in comic books. Uh, he was a Force Recon Marine and briefly a CIA operative and a mercenary alongside his companion, uh, Frenchie, uh, Jean-Paul de Camp, um, who would often serve as his sort of Alfred. Uh, Moon Knight, in many ways, was Marvel's attempt to stand up their own Batman, and he was created by writer Doug Mensch and artist Don Perlin back in 1975. Mercenaries often work with very unsavory people, and Mark Spector was no exception, and on one of these jobs in particular, he is mortally wounded and left for dead at the foot of an Egyptian moon god statue, Khonshu who is sort of like a bird god deity. Spectre apparently dies and is revived um, apparently by the hand of Khonshu who wants him to serve as his moon knight to the fist of Khonshu. Much like pulp heroes like the Shadow, Mark Spectre would become a billionaire and use his dual identities as Mark Spectre and Moon Knight to fight crime, right wrongs, that sort of thing. And along the way, he would adopt different identities in different social circles like billionaire businessman Stephen Grant, or a taxi driver named Jake Lockley, or a suited consultant named Mr. Knight. So over the years, they sort of played with this idea as, does he have uh, multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder? Or is this uh, an aspect of sort of a greater metaphysical um, paranormal uh, entity like Khonshu uh, interacting in his life? So all of this is sort of explored and reset in the volume that we're going to discuss today. So hang on after the break and we'll be right back to talk about that. Welcome back. Thanks for hanging on. So let's get into From the Dead, this volume of Moon Knight written by Warren Ellis and illustrated by Declan Shalvey. If you were to buy this story in a single issue format, you would see it being numbered as Moon Knight issues one through six, but really it's Moon Knight volume seven issues one through six, which were released um, from 2014 to 2015. One of the big downsides of comic books is particularly characters with long running histories. And realistically on that spectrum, Moon Knight is one of the newer characters being created in the 1970s. There's a long publication history with lots of stories that have sort of amassed 
um, to create the history of these characters. And many times it's convoluted, contradictory, or difficult to follow. So anytime a new reader comes along and they say, that seems cool, I'd like to read that, if they just pick up an issue, um, they may find themselves totally lost. Realistically, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has not done much to cure this problem in other realms as they've continued to tack on new films and TV shows. It's now at the point where if you wanted to watch the latest Doctor Strange movie, you might have to watch five movies and two TV series in order to really understand what's going on. Recognizing this as a problem, there are a couple different methods that these major IP companies, by which I mean Marvel and DC, which are owned by respective parent companies at different points in their histories, uh, can use to sort of smooth this out. One method is to just sort of tell stories out of context. You just publish a story, it's not really supposed to fit within the overall context of the character, and it just sort of stands on its own. They can cherry pick out pieces that they want from the character's history to tell the best possible story, and uh, you move ahead from there. One of the upsides of this is that you are unburdened by this deep character history. Like we've said with Mark Spector here, is he schizophrenic, is he not? He's used a bunch of different identities. Uh, is he mystical, is it not mystical, is it in his head? It's, uh, it's very complicated and convoluted. So by the time people pick up this particular volume, this is volume seven, and when they see Moon Knight number one, it feels like a fresh start. And that was very much the intent of this particular volume. By bringing on a really sort of seasoned and creative writer like Warren Ellis, they were asking him to sort of reestablish who this character was and provide context so that people that did not read Moon Knight, that were not familiar with his back history and that would be uncomfortable picking up Moon Knight number 650, would feel more comforted easing in and understanding who this character is and why he matters. So unlike Dragon Hoops that we discussed before, this is not a singular story. It is six single issues and each single issue is a small story and each of these small stories adds up to tell you more and more about Moon Knight, who he is and why he operates. The overall context for the story is that Mark Spector meets with a psychologist to determine what is going on with his mental health. He decides he needs to take this more seriously. As in previous runs of the character, he has been more overtly schizophrenic or not. So meeting with a doctor who is a, you know, sci-fi comic book doctor, uh, diagnoses Mark with neither schizophrenia nor dissociative identity disorder, but actually a form of brain damage from being physically altered by Khonshu, who is a real entity from an alternate world or dimension, or a god, depending on what you choose to sort of view it through the lens of, that altered Mark in order to create a sort of connection between them, between these realities, and that Mark's different personalities are a result of his mind adjusting to the four different aspects of Khonshu's nature and aspects, which is why he has these sort of four different altered versions of himself that appear sometimes and not. So each of these little stories involving Moon Knight uh, are actually different genres in some cases. And the only real connecting material between them is Moon Knight as a character, with the exception of the first and last story, which have a connecting character between the two of them, which sort of close the loop on this particular story arc. Our first story establishes Moon Knight as the Mr. Knight persona, which we see in the television show, which is a man in an all-white suit, white tie, and white face mask with a moon emblem on the forehead. He works hand in glove with the NYPD, which is to the benefit of the police because honestly, they exist within the context of the Marvel Universe where there's lots of things that the police are unable to handle on their own. And in this particular case, it is a detective story involving a slasher who is targeting sort of uh, Jimbro types. Um, 
In many ways, the slasher turns out to be sort of a mirror image of Moon Knight. The slasher reveals himself to be a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who was disgraced and discarded by the organization and now is sort of using outdated and outmoded technology and sort of grabbing body parts off of tough guys to pull himself back together after having been uh, basically through the same experience Mark Spector went through before Khonshu sort of redeemed him. So in that way, he is sort of an anti-Moon Knight. And this is apropos because also introduced in this first issue is Detective Flint, who works with Moon Knight, while calling him Mr. Knight, who is a concerned citizen, not a vigilante. There is also a beat cop who is suspicious of Moon Knight and asks, why are we working with this person? And in issue six of this story, I'm calling this a story, although these are individual vignettes, that character will return and say, how come Moon Knight gets to be the hero? Why don't I get to be the hero? Why do I have to be burdened by the conventional rules of the police force? And he decides that if he kills Moon Knight, he can resume that identity. So both bookends of this story are about anti-Moon Knight characters who in their own way are dark reflections of him. In one case, the discarded mercenary who becomes a butcher as a response to it. On the other end, the person who should be looking out for the best of the community, but wants to do it through evil means. This first part of the story also does some essential legwork in establishing what is Moon Knight's mission or purview. If we were talking about Batman, we would understand that Bruce Wayne saw his parents killed by as a child and is now driven by that to make sure that doesn't happen again. And in this case, uh, by visiting the psychologist and asking about his dissociative identity disorder, the psychologist is able to establish that you know, you are uh, an agent of Khonshu. Your objective is to bring vengeance to those who would harm travelers by night. So Moon Knight, guy that comes at night, comes at you wearing bright white. Why is he wearing bright white? Because he wants you to see him coming because he is not the most stable human being on earth because he is either mentally unwell or alternatively um, essentially colonized by an extraterrestrial uh, magical or a supernatural entity. So there we go. That's where we're going with Moon Knight from there. So you've got the the sandwiches that uh, are on either side of the story with alternate versions of Moon Knight with the middle four stories uh, being far more interesting and little vignettes into different genres of storytelling. Issue two is a particularly interesting story because each page of this story is an eight panel grid. Each of the panels has the same character consistently in it and is telling you eight different stories all at once. However, every page turn, one of these characters is assassinated. So each of these characters is all living their own lives. And uh, on this page, character one is shot in the bottom right hand corner. And then that panel is blank from now on. So the actual format of the page changes as you progress through the story. And the sort of narration of the story begins to appear in those blank spaces as these targets of this, this assassin uh, remove them from you know, the story. So we're experiencing this in real time as each of these characters disappears and we don't quite understand what the story is. And uh, by the time we reach the end of it, uh, there's one target left and Moon Knight arrives in time and we actually see a pullback of the entire thing. We realize all these people are in the same building. In fact, all these people were essentially former government operatives who are behind the kind of shady stuff that we saw in the first story where we see people being used as human capital like the shield agent who are treated as disposable resources and this particular assassin is going after the people that used to run his agency and has been taking them off the field 
um, as sort of a payback mission for the people that left him alone out to dry. Much like Moon Knight was sort of abandoned on his mercenary mission and has now become an agent of Khonshu, we see, again, similar to the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, this guy, whoever is looking for retribution against the people that did this to him versus looking for a path back in like the guy in the first story. It's a really clever method of storytelling as the your eyes are driven around the page where you start to see the holes missing in the story and you start to realize that more and more people are being taken out of it. And Declan Shalvey is an excellent, excellent storyteller, especially in the sense that he is using a lot of blacks and whites throughout a lot of these stories because Moon Knight is a solid white-looking character for the most part. In this story, he is in more of a conventional superhero costume, which incorporates a little bit of black into it. But Moon Knight is not restricted to like one superhero costume like you would see Captain America or Batman show up in. He uses a variety of arsenals depending on what is called for. So in our first story, he's a man in a suit. In this story, he is a more action-oriented character. Much like Khonshu has different aspects, Moon Knight takes on different aspects depending on what is dictated by the action or what is required. The third story is a ghost story and involves the ghosts of 80s punks that are essentially uh, assaulting people in the streets of New York City. And Moon Knight sees these ghastly apparitions of very conventional looking street punks with, you know, mohawks and, and earrings and leather jackets that are beating up on civilians and swoops down in his uh, Mr. Knight outfit dressed in a white suit and tries to punch one. Hand goes right through, but he takes a punch back from the ghost, which leads to him seeking spiritual and supernatural counseling from Khonshu, who tells him, you have armor for everything else, why don't you wear supernatural armor? So at that point, Moon Knight taps into his vast array of Egyptian artifacts and comes back in wearing a very ancient Egyptian-looking outfit with Khonshu-style beak on it and various uh, artifacts and bones strapped to him and comes back and fights ghosts in the middle of the street. And it's a fun kind of story, and ultimately it's kind of about the story of this little punk gang and uh, what happened with them, and that's what the final page reveals. But it's uh, yet another story about who Moon Knight is and to differentiate him from different characters. This is a guy where the spiritual and supernatural aspects of reality are actually at play in his real life. So much like Thor is a Norse god and has to interact with the politics of godhood in a way that Captain America doesn't as a more grounded super soldier. So carving out that niche for this character to exist, which is really the impetus behind this entire story arc in the first place. Why does Moon Knight exist? Why do we care? Like, what's the deal? Issue 4 is a, also an interesting story in the sense that Moon Knight is being asked to help by a civilian. There's a researcher who's been doing dream experiments, and uh, he doesn't have a lot of funding from the local university, so he's doing it at a small apartment complex off-site. And uh, the subjects of these dream experiments that he's doing, where you know they're going to have people do sleep studies, aren't waking up. They're going to sleep, and they're not coming out of this. And it's becoming a bit of a crisis, and he doesn't know what to do about it. So he enlists the help of Moon Knight, who, under his purview, is to protect travelers by night, right? So protecting travelers by night is not just a physical sense, but also in sort of a metaphysical sense, and protecting dreamers, people that are asleep. So Moon Knight comes in and asks him to show him the room where this is happening. And uh, Moon Knight in his Mr. Knight attire lays down and goes to sleep in the room. And this issue appears mostly in the sense of Moon Knight interacting in a dream state. And unlike some of the other issues where it might be more grounded, like the sniper issue, or sort of more pulpy, like the first issue where he fights the shield agent who's been cobbling himself back together with pieces of bodybuilders, 
this is vividly colored, colored and just like very Grateful Dead. It's uh, it's vivid. It's otherworldly. He falls asleep and is in sort of a fungus uh, dream place where he is somehow uh, on a giant planetoid that looks like a skull made of fungus. It's ethereal. It doesn't make sense as dreams do. But when he wakes up, it's become very apparent to him what has happened. And he goes into the next room over and punches out uh, the uh, dream study guy. And uh, upon breaking open the floor of the room that the sleep studies were in, he finds the body of the first test subject. So he had found this guy on Craigslist. He didn't have a lot of money. Apparently, the man had some kind of fungal infection in his brain and died while doing the experiment. And the researcher, freaking out and not knowing what to do about this, fearing that he had killed him, buried the body beneath the floorboards. And essentially, the subjects of these dream experiments have been breathing in the dreams uh, through these fungal spores, which has been what's causing the bizarre comas that the other subjects have been experiencing. So at this point, we've seen Moon Knight like as a street-level pulpy hero uh, investigating S.H.I.E.L.D., We've seen him as a superhero stopping an assassin, and we've seen him as a supernatural character fighting ghosts and sort of a otherworldly paranormal um, investigator with the dream story. But the next one, part five, is by far my favorite, and this one is a direct homage to the film The Raid. If you're unfamiliar with it, The Raid is an Indonesian action film from 2011, actually the same year as the film Dread, which was... Uh, a reference to the the British series Judge Dredd, which was published in 2018, and both of them actually share a, sim, share a similar conceit, although The Raid was sort of more famous for it. And that conceit was, it's a very simple action movie concept. Cops have to get to the top of a building. And within this building, they're going to have to fight a lot of guys. It's going to be really hard. Like Judge Dredd, in the case of that movie, it's uh, Dredd coming in, and he's after Mama, who's the leader of a gang selling slow-mo, which is a drug. In the raid, it's these SWAT cops that are going after a gang leader and have to fight the way at the top of this sort of gang-controlled tower. In this case, um, it is very much the same concept. It's a six-story building, and there's probably 11 guys there total, but Moon Knight, as Mr. Knight, has been asked to find a missing girl who's been abducted. Well, some of the other issues have been more slow-paced or maybe thoughtful or maybe trippy. This is just an all-out action affair, which is difficult to pull off in the pages of a comic book because really, when an artist is trying to create a comic book page, they're not only having to create the space in which the you know, art is happening, they're having to render in 3D different spaces, so they're having to think thoughtfully and use three-point composition to create realistic-looking space. But then they have to create realistic motion within that space. And Declan Shelby is doing like yeoman's work within this. He's establishing the building from the very outset, showing the six stories, telling us how many guys we can expect inside, and showing um, Moon Knight as Mr. Knight fight his way up the stairs of this building using very little in terms of weaponry. We're not talking about Batman with an endless arsenal of stuff. We're talking Moon Knight has uh, some little like throwing star-like discs and not a ton of them and a truncheon, which is kind of like a billy club kind of situation that he uses to fight through these guys. And at one point, his truncheon gets shot by a gun and, and broken in half. And at one point, he even comments, those things cost money. It's not like I even have a job because Moon Knight has really divorced himself from any sort of civilian identity at this point. His identity is Moon Knight, which is reinforced later in the story when he actually does rescue the little girl. And she comments on his face, touching the white mask that Mr. Knight uh, wears. 
And he says, it's just a mask. And she says, no, it's not. It's your face. And he smiles. You can see the definition under his mask. And he's a smart kid. Because for Moon Knight, there really is no prime identity. There really is no Bruce Wayne to this character. He is Moon Knight in whatever form that might be, whether it be Mr. Knight or it be the superhero or it be the sort of spiritual character, whether it's Mark Spector, who he was originally before he met Khonshu or Jake Loxley or any of these other identities he takes. They're all to serve the purpose of this character being the protector of those that go in the night. And in this case, this girl was taken in the night and Moon Knight is doing what is right to bring her in and protect her. So every one of these stories sort of revolves around that idea. They all take place at night, and Moon Knight comes at you wearing all white, because as he says, he's the one that you see coming. He wants you to know he's coming after you. He's not hiding this. He's not lurking in the shadows like Batman. He's going to come right at you wearing white, because he is unafraid uh, to his own detriment oftentimes. And our last of the six stories starts off with a cover that is an inversion of the first cover. The first cover of this series is very simplistic. The bottom half of the page is literally just black and it says Moon Knight. This time it's white and says Moon Knight in black. And instead of having a white face with dark eyes, it's a dark face with white eyes. It's the literal inversion of this of Moon Knight and that's what this character is about. It actually revisits part of the first story where Moon Knight was going after the serial killer that was killing bodybuilders. And in this case, it revisits the cop from that issue who was skeptical as to why the detectives would work with this guy. And really, it comes down to his personal jealousy and lack of career growth. It does a quick zoom through his entire life history, and he's always been nothing but mediocre, and he's now continuing to be mediocre as an adult, as a police officer. And upon finding out that Moon Knight previously had an enemy called the Black Spectre, who was kind of like an anti-Moon Knight military veteran kind of character, he realizes that there is an opportunity for other people to enter into the space. Like, why is Moon Knight special? Why does he get to do whatever he wants and I don't? And his, his grasp on sanity and reality starts to fall apart. He starts pushing himself to work out harder. He starts researching the shield agent from the first story that uh, Moon Knight found underground. And eventually he crafts himself his own sort of homemade black Moon Knight costume out of body armor and uh, plans a trap to assassinate Moon Knight. Because at the end of the day, he wants to assume his identity and he wants to be the hero. He wants to finally feel like he's getting credit for what he's doing. He's not being a cop because it's the right thing to do or because he finds value in taking care of the community. He wants the accolades. So he improvises some bombs in the street and in sort of like an IED style attack bombs Moon Knight's car as he's coming down the street. But Moon Knight being Moon Knight isn't in his own car because why would he? You would be expecting that. He's actually in a glider coming down from the air. And ultimately, the cop ends up blowing himself up with two of his own IEDs in another car that he planned poorly. So he ends up, you know, shattered, shredded from shrapnel. And he's looking at Moon Knight, telling him, I'm the Black Spectre. And Moon Knight says, let me tell you a thing about the Black Spectre. All he ever wanted to be was loved. And I know that people that get close to me die, that people that are near to me get hurt. I never want to be loved. So... This is a further extension of the idea of Moon Knight not having a sort of supporting cast of characters. He is a solo character because you can't hurt what doesn't have weaknesses. And for him, you know, having, you know, friends and relationships as he may have previously been established to have had in the past are not um, an asset in his favor. 
This is a really quick read. It's probably 140 pages total. Like I said, it's six single issues. Each single issue, if you're reading it not in a single issue format with ads, is probably about 22 pages. So you're looking at a little over 100 pages of total content in each of these stories. You could probably read this in less than an hour if you're really zooming through it. I mean, I suggest actually when you're reading something in a graphic format, treating the pictures as much of the text as you would otherwise, because that's how it's intended to be consumed. These aren't written as as scripts and then later images are added. The images are part of the script. So much like you're watching a movie, if you were to close your eyes and just listen to it, you would be missing out on a lot of what's going on, which is obviously a detriment to anyone that's visually impaired. You're missing out on a large part of the medium. So the visuals are such an important part of the storytelling, and that's why this particular partnership between these two is so fruitful with Warren Ellis's sort of tight, sharp scripts and keen grasp of character and pacing, creating these little short stories that each nudge the character along a bit and tell you a little bit more about it. Much like if you were creating a dashboard with different charts, each one of those charts is complementary to each other. Instead of being individual things that are disconnected, each of them lends context to each other to tell you more about this character overall. In the same way Declan Shalvey's art is very strategic, it varies per story. It's never photorealistic, it's also never peanuts. It's somewhere in the middle of like iconic and realistic. So while you're looking at people, sometimes in the distance they may have a very simple representation, and other times up close, Mr. Knight's suit may be heavily detailed. But not in the way you're going to look at it and mistake it for a photograph as some artists and colorists are able to pull off. Because that's not the intent of the story. They're not trying to submerse you in reality. This is an altered reality you're watching when you're reading this. And that's okay because Moon Knight himself sort of exists on a different plane, right? Like it's not supposed to be like he's someone you could actually encounter. This is a guy who in one scenario is the, you know, the earthly representative of an ancient Egyptian deity and in another scenario is considered to be mentally ill. In fact, the story leading up to this, Moon Knight went through a period where he went out to Los Angeles and believed he was working with Spider-Man, Wolverine, and Captain America, when in reality, they were all just sort of schizophrenic visions that he was having. So that story's been kind of pushed to the side. It wasn't that great overall. But this story actually leads into another run by um, writer Greg Lemire and artist Greg Smallwood, which further sort of delve into the iconography of sort of the Egyptian connections of Moon Knight. So if you're interested in reading that after reading this, I'd highly suggest it. Otherwise, I don't know if there's too much Moon Knight out there that I can really recommend unless you're sort of just interested in classic superhero kind of stuff. Or as uh, people might say, gosh, good old superhero comics. I hope you've enjoyed this. I know these are self-indulgent and sorry, you don't have to listen to them. I'm doing this for me. But really, I'm trying to introduce you to some of the really good stuff that's out there. And I get a lot of my ideas for visualizations from looking at different, different visual mediums, and comic books have been fundamental for that for me. Especially considering the relationship between comic books and data visualization and the terms of page layouts. In both cases, we're using panes, panels, and series of progressions to drive your eyes through the page, telling you a different story. So the fact that in comic books, they have you know these panels, they call them, and the gutters, the spaces in between, and are able to tell you how to navigate down the page without ever having an arrow pointing where you need to look next. That's something that we could all learn to do better. And a masterful visual artist is able to really help you understand the progression of the story. In fact, 
in comic books, they're even able to change your perception of time depending on how much action takes place between each panel in the gutters. Sometimes you're seeing a direct second to second. Sometimes you're seeing minutes apart. Sometimes you're seeing motions that are missed. So it really changes your perception of what's happening. It can speed up or slow down the story. In the same way, we can really change people's perception with the different levels of detail we use and what we're putting on a page. So thanks for listening to this episode. I've really enjoyed doing these. It's given me an opportunity to either read for the first time or go back and read some stuff that I've really enjoyed. Coming in September, we're doing something a little different. Our first month was a biographical indie book. This month was a more action-oriented Marvel book, and we're returning back to the indie realm with Richard Stark's Parker, The Score which is adapted and illustrated by Darwin Cook, who unfortunately we lost far too young to cancer in his early 50s. Darwin is a design master, and this book is lavishly drawn in a very quirky, cartoony 1960s style with almost a three-color palette, with the colors being white, black, and different shades of yellow. While Darwin Cook did work at major publishers, he also did a series of four adaptations of Richard Stark's hard-boiled crime novels about Parker, who is a hardened criminal, and each book is its own story, so that can be read in any order, much like the Indiana Jones movies can be watched in any particular sequence. This particular book is a big heist book with getting the gang together and then executing the mission, so it's a fun read, and it's really lavishly colored. It's a black, white, and different shades of yellow book. So it almost has a sepia tone, which is suitable for the 1960s throwback feel that it has. It's a great read, and I look forward to talking about it with you next month in September. Mm